one, one, two, three, four. Yeah, I watched. We were just talking about the Costco close again. Um, I watched. Uh, remember that series on Netflix called Seven Days Out? Did you ever uh, no. hear about that or watch it? No. Well, seven days out. It's like a. Basically, what it is is it's seven different categories of events, and no, not seven different categories. It's a bunch of different categories. It's seven days. I don't know how many categories total is. It might only be six. So there's a. They're all major events. Could be sports, fashion, space, food. Uh, one of them is a dog show. One of them is a restaurant opening. One of them is an NASA mission. Anyway, this was all back in 2018. But I just, I, there's, you know, it's like you get a little bit of a behind the scenes on the buildup to these different events. Okay. And the one that I watched the other day was the fashion one, which was Chanel. Uh, this, uh, the lead up to this Chanel fashion show. Okay. And my kids are watching with me and they're like, what is this couture stuff? What's going on here? Like... They're finding out that some of these garments are worth tens of thousands of dollars and that they has got to get the right model. And it's like just the all these different uh, seamstresses sewing and tweaking and just pure panic and tons of effort and um, different pieces coming from different places. Uh-huh. And then you have this. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> then you have this. Yeah. Which is what most of the world actually wears. Yeah. I mean, obviously not with the Costco branding on mm-hmm. it. But even that has like mega uh, planning as well, you know? Logistics but it's different. And stuff. It's different for sure. It's not as hands-on. It's more industrial. It's in scale and decision-making. And I, I sometimes think about this because you go down he, here in Toronto, you have the Toronto Stock Exchange. It's basically like Wall Street in the States, in New York. But it's the exact same idea, bankers and traders and suits, things like that. And then some, sometimes I'll see suits on TV if I'm watching some sporting event and the commentators yeah. are in suits and stuff. And I often think about this, like how long does the suit go for? In in a hundred years, are people wearing the same suit they wore a hundred years ago? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of what people are wearing right now in these type of settings. Yeah, they still got to wear a suit. It's really intriguing how 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 much it persists. It's such an uncomfortable. <laughs> like if you don't dress this way, and then every so often you're required to uh-huh. get done up like that you're like wow imagine wearing that every day you're like you're like it's like you're gonna pop out of it uh-huh no or maybe what somebody has to do is just is just innovate in that space so you can have that formal look that you need for those events but then you have more yeah. stretch or more i think a lot of companies high-tech tried, materials they try right but the try and true still stick with the really formal yeah. clothing with like the stitching and like the materials that are not stretchable, that are not really breathable. Because there's something about luxury and tradition. There's some sort of overlap tradition, there. Yeah, yeah. That it's the traditional ways, that the handmade nature of it, the more 
the the less scientifically modified materials, the um, aspects of it being done by hand. These are the things that are deeply meaningful to us. That we 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 perceive value somewhere in that realm, sure. or luxury somewhere in that realm. Then you have this Costco wholesale uh-huh. sweatshirt, which. 99% of the planet would be ex- way more comfortable in, but it would be presenting, you'd be presenting yourself in a different way. Yeah. Like if you showed up to Bay Street or Wall Street in your Costco wholesale sweatshirt, people would wonder what the gag was. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you trying to do here? Mm-hmm. Show up to your meeting like that. They think you're trying to make a statement or something. Why are you trying to step out of line? What are you trying to do? Yeah. And then something else becomes the uniform anyway. So we talked about this on a previous episode. You go to Silicon Valley and then all of a sudden I'm wearing a uniform. Yeah, CEOs dress very, you know, dressed down. All of a sudden I'm casual. wearing all of a sudden I'm wearing the uniform. Yeah. And maybe that's a lie. Because it's like, listen, all your decision making, your approach to everything is extremely formal. Uh-huh. You think you can change that and all of a sudden you're creative because you're wearing a hoodie? Mm, I don't know if it works that way. Right. I mean, maybe you're just signaling to me that you're just a normal guy, even though you're worth 300 billion dollars yeah you know what you know who looks good in a suit um <laughs> he's jordan a- peterson well he's committed now to the For suit, some but, reason but his suits but his suit. suits keep getting crazier and crazier i don't know did you see his twitter suit yeah with the elon faces in in the tie, tie i saw this on twitter I, I don't mind that one the two the two-sided one is kind of interesting Okay. The dichotomy there, the red and the blue, the split of social media and politics. You know, I've never seen him in a hoodie or like a sweater. He's always in a suit. Yeah, he's big on Or a button shirt. He's big on the formal put yourself together, uh, button, get your buttons done. Yeah. But you got to please show me the Twitter suit because that was taking things to another level. And there's something he's doing which isn't typically or traditionally formal which is he puts sneakers on sometimes with those funky suits instead of your regular dress shoes that's not the best picture of the twitter suit is it (laughs) yeah look at that no go up to that one right (laughs) that just the rolled up uh, that's kind of alice in wonderland to me that's a that's a character at that point. Yeah. I don't know. It's you, you see how our brains interpret this stuff, and it has such a big part to play in your impression of somebody's attitude. Somebody's. I mean, well, this is obviously why fashion exists. Mm-hmm. You see someone and the way they present themselves, and you try to infer something. And I don't know why we, why that works that way. I presume it's something to do with the way we evolved and everything else. We're like, okay, what is this person putting out? What are they putting out into the universe? Do you take someone with a suit more seriously? <laughs> probably they not. Marched up to you. Pro- I don't know. Well, probably the answer is yes. In, in terms of if there was like a giant social study, and prob- uh-huh. probably people are taking more seriously. But I'm not sure that I would. I would immediately be like, you comfortable with it? It's a little hot in here, don't you think? Like, I, I just can't help it. Well, like, I'm a disaster with the analysis. Yeah. When it comes to something like that. Uh-huh. It also depends, do they always wear a suit, or is it a person I normally see another way, and then all of a sudden they're in a suit? I'm like, whoa. Like, you show up in a suit today? And I'm, I'm there's going to be some question and answer session. Oh, yeah, for sure. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. 
Like, I, even not just from me, just in general. It's like, hey, you don't normally present yourself in that fashion. I wonder yeah. what you're up to. You got an event later on? You're like, nope. Just Were there any times in the studio that uh, some of us wore a, you know, more formal attire? I don't think there's ever been a time. In here? Yeah. No, I mean, we're in a meat locker, dude. Yeah. Maybe Ryan or Vin? We're in a meat locker, dude. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you never saw something like that happen. Anyway, listen, somebody's probably got a comfortable suit out there. And that's a Nothing hi- wrong with it. That's a hybrid. I bet yeah. you there's a hybrid of materials that exists in 2023. Which has the fit and feel of more casual clothing, but the appearance of a suit. And I know this because I wear sometimes the fake jeans that look like jeans, but they're actually yeah, sweatpants. From Uniqlo. And they actually work. Like, people, if I didn't wear it for a while, my kids would be like, you're wearing jeans? And I'd be uh-huh. like, ha, 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 ha. So we need the innovation in that space. So who knows? If we get the innovation in that space, uh, it might change. It might flip everything on its head. Mm-hmm. What's going on, Will? What you got this in my face here? Announcing uh, GPT-4? Is that what's going on? Uh, yeah. A large multimodal model. Multimodal model. Say that 10 times fast. Uh-huh. With our best ever results on capabilities and alignment. Uh, play the video. Roll the clip. Or is the latest AI system from OpenAI. The lab that created Dolly and ChatGPT. GPT-4 is a breakthrough in problem-solving capabilities. For example, you can ask it how you would clean the inside of a tank filled with piranhas, and it'll give you something useful. It can also read, analyze, or generate up to 25,000 words of text. It can write code in all major programming languages, and it understands images as input and can reason with them in sophisticated ways. That's crazy, eh? This one right here? Hmm. Um, just seeing this image and the logic of the boxing glove hitting the plank and then the ball going up and then explaining that pretty interesting most importantly after we created gpt4 we spent months making it safer and more aligned with how you want to use it the methods we've developed to continuously improve gpt4 will help us as we work towards ai systems that will empower us all GPT-4 is the... Li- uh, uh, extremely vague. Extremely you vague. You want to see another video? Extremely vague. Give me another video. GPT-4 takes what you prompt it with and just runs with it. From one perspective, it's a tool. A thing you can use to get useful tasks done in language. From another perspective, it's a system that can make dreams, thoughts, ideas flourish in text in front of you. GPT-4 is incredibly advanced and sophisticated. It can take in and generate up to 25,000 words of text around eight times. They're done with the word chat. They're like, we're grown up now. We're not a chatbot. Ideas about them. For example, it can tell us that if the strings in this image were cut, the balloons would fly away. This is the place where you just get turbocharged by these AIs. They're not perfect, they make mistakes, and so you really need to make sure that you know the work is being done to your level of expectation. But I think that it is fundamentally about amplifying what every person is able to do. GPT-4 training finished last August, and everything that's been happening in the past few months up until we've released it has been a giant sprint to make it safer, more aligned, and also more useful. We have put in already a lot of internal guardrails around things like adversarial usage, 
unwanted content and privacy concerns. And when we release a model, we know things are not done. We know we have to learn. We know we have to update. We know we have to keep improving all the systems around it to make it suitable for society. To me, the most compelling use cases of these technologies will come from starting with a real human need. The obvious one where these systems have really incredible potential is in education. GPT-4 can teach a huge range of subjects. Imagine giving a fifth grader a personal math tutor with unlimited time and patience. It's a great tool to bring learning to everyone in a way that is personalized to their skill level. GPT-4 brings the dream of having the most useful, helpful assistant to life. It's really about adding as much value to everyday life as possible. The partnership value with OpenAI has to everyday life. is to shape this technology into something that's gonna be useful for the world. The power of AI, hopefully, is that it can help us be more productive. It's a low which voice. Hopefully leads Whoa. to a better quality of life. The development oh, where's of the, the mic? The computer where'd, you put the, where'd you hide that mic? Industry, it's inside his throat. Everything <laughs> came together to produce Tucker, AI technology. In there. And while it is very limited, it is already easy to imagine what the impact... Sounds like the Charlie Brown teacher. Hey, man. Hey, man. We think that GPT-4 I, hey, I would like a voice like that. first experience with a highly capable and advanced AI system. So we really care about this model being useful to everyone, not just the early adopters or people very close to technology. So it is really important to us that as many people as possible participate so that we can learn more about that dude's headphones, those focals, those are pff, yeah. a couple bucks on there. Uh -huh. He's in those headphones. He's the only guy actually working. Did you notice that? Yeah. Everybody else is like chatting. We'll give you the expensive headphones. Yeah, tapping the table. And then there's the other guy just just plowing through with his headphones on. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. $1,500 headphones. I understand that it is uh, much more vast than the previous version. Mm -hmm. And apparently it seems to understand context well now. But that seems that's my takeaway. They're like, what if you cut the balloons? And you're you're responding to it's responding to an existing piece of data that you you're providing or reacting to, and then it's reading that instead of being strictly reactive to text per, to, to text analysis. Now it's like looking at an image and... Yes. And also text, like with the question. Sure. So in this case, uh, they're showing off a picture of the inside of a fridge, which says, what are a couple of meals I can make with this? And so obviously GPT-4 has to analyze this image and then make suggestions. Based on the items visible in the fridge, this is the response. Here are a couple meal ideas. Yogurt parfait, layer yogurt, strawberries, and blueberries in a bowl or jar. Top with honey or nuts for added texture and flavor. I can see that. You've got the yogurt near the front of the fridge. You have strawberries and blueberries. Easy. Mm -hmm. Carrot and hummus wrap. Wow. The hummus is impressive to me. Is this the hummus? No, it's oh, over on yeah. the left. It's, an, it's that short the container. Flat. Yeah. To know that that's hummus is based on what? Because that could be a lot of things. Like, that's impressive. And maybe they, they tweaked this response. Uh -huh. And hummus does tend to come in a container like that. Yes. But is it looking at the texture? Is it looking at that very specific color? It's incredible. Carrot and hummus wrap. Hang on, let me just read the rest of it. Sorry. Spread hummus on a tortilla wrap. So it's not seeing a tortilla in there, but it's hoping you have one somewhere else, not in the fridge. Top with shredded carrots. The carrots are there. 
other desired veggies roll up and enjoy. Note the lack of honey, nuts, or tortillas in the image. So it's able to fill in the other suggestions along with what it happens to be seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, in this example, it shows off a meme of, uh, I think, chicken in like a shape of the world. And uh, ChatGPT identifies it. Yeah. So it's also referencing against its enormous data set. Yeah. And it's like overlaying extremely quickly to be what should I be noticing here? Um, so it immediately knew this was the world. This meme is a joke that combines two unrelated things, pictures of Earth from space and chicken nuggets. The text of the meme suggests that the image below is a beautiful picture of the Earth from space. However, the image is actually of chicken nuggets arranged to vaguely resemble a map of the world. The humor in this meme comes from the unexpected juxtaposition of the text and the image. The text sets up an expectation of a majestic image of the Earth, but the image is actually something mundane and silly. Mm -hmm. That's very detailed, that description, that explanation. What is unusual about this image? Well, here we have an image of a, of a guy on the back, standing on the back of a taxi, and he's ironing a shirt, and he's somehow harnessed in there. It's a very odd image. Why would you be doing this? Mm -hmm. And so, so GPT-4 responds, the unusual thing about this image is that a man is ironing clothes on an ironing board attached to the roof of a moving taxi. I mean, nails it. It's like, hey, I'm like you. I understand a goofy image. But does ChatGPT understand that it's funny or weird? Because in this case, it says there's no emotion. Well, it's just kind of stating the fact. I would say it would just take the definitions of these terms. In this case, the question was unusual. Now, once you look at a long list of synonyms or close by terms, unusual can be funny. So you would have that in your model somewhere. Unusual can be funny. Unusual can be scary. Mm -hmm. So you're right. This gets complex. But the main thing is it's capable of determining unusual. Unusual is a hard thing to determine, and it's capable of identifying unusual in that case. Yeah. Like there's not a lot of images in its data set that resemble that. Uh -huh. How many images does it have of man ironing back on top of or back of taxi? Yeah. A yeah. limited number. There might be only one image. And oh. then it probably tries to find the, a description of it or something. It's better at playing with language. OpenAI says that GPT-4 is better at tasks that require creativity or advanced reasoning. It's a hard claim to evaluate, but it seems right based on some tests we've seen and conducted uh, through the differences with its predecessors aren't startling so far. Okay, so the differences currently are not startling. People may need a little time with this to determine where those differences lie. Mm -hmm. Revised summaries, new definitions, it, more tweaking. You know what people are going to do. They're going to throw all their trumps at it. and uh, Yeah. Uh, we can talk about the Trump thing first. So... In this new uh, version of GPT, um, Jordan Peterson actually um, asked... Oh, this is the new version? I read these tweets. Are you sure this is the new version? Uh, yeah. Uh, he says a new ChatGPT session, but he's still calling it ChatGPT, not GPT-4. I don't think he has access to GPT-4. No? Okay. Well, yeah, it's a revised version of it, of GPT. 
because you know before Trump wouldn't be written as a poem right if they were asked now it does yeah but they okay so tweaking a specific result to me appears to be human interference okay yeah right? i agree with that so this is just you know probably noticing that they were getting a lot of queries like this and being like okay we're gonna have to reply or taking a lot of heat on this particular topic but it doesn't this is a okay this so i read this the poem on trump is still it was willing to write the poem but it's still negative well the majority i don't know i couldn't tell because towards the end it seemed to kind of come back a little bit i'll read it go go to the front i'll read it okay i cannot write a poem about just one whose name has caused so much to come undone the man with hair like spun gold or hay who led the world in such a strange way so this is strange unusual strange uh, less Anyway, the language, I guess, is important here. Donald Trump, a name that makes us sigh, for in his time we saw such chaos nigh. From Twitter wars to border walls, he kept us all upon our toes and balls. This was another weird one. Do they mean the balls of your feet? Probably. But people liked that line. They're like, he kept us upon our balls. His words would spark a fire in the air and cause so much division everywhere. He claimed to make America great again, but left many feeling hurt and in pain. Yet still his supporters held him dear with fervent loyalty. They drew near. They saw a leader who spoke his mind, and they were drawn to his unyielding kind. So this, that line, that paragraph is up for discussion on whether or not that's critical or complimentary or realistic or what. Mm -hmm. But it's a poem, after all. In history's book, his chapters writ... But what remains is for time to knit the legacy of a man who polarized and left so many souls agonized. And they go right back to where they were. Yeah. Okay, well, listen. It's a poem, and it wasn't a poem before. And how are you supposed to know if this is how all poems uh, from ChatGPT go, or now soon to be GPT-4, well, here's how you know, because of course people are immediately going to do their Biden reference. Mm -hmm. Because last time Biden got a glowing poem, Trump wouldn't get one at all. So here's Biden uh, with the exact same prompt, write a poem about Joe Biden. And GPT says, Joe Biden, a name that's come to light, a leader in his own unique right. With empathy as his guiding force, he's taken on a difficult course. In a world where chaos has reigned, his message of hope has not been in vain. A seasoned politician with years of experience, he's brought a sense of calm and adherence. His words are like a soothing balm to those who've seen the nation's harm. He's reached out with a steady hand to bring together a divided land. With a smile that speaks of warmth and care, he's shown that leadership is more than just a chair. For he listens to the people's woes and works to bring about the necessary flows. Joe Biden, a man with a vision clear to make the future bright and near. For he knows that the nation's fate depends on unity, not just debate. So his is just glowing the whole way. I don't think there is anything negative in there. Uh -huh. Or that could be perceived as negative. Yeah. And so this is what the humans do. What we do is we push against 
the seams of things and we try to determine where there is pushback, where there's resistance, where there's influence, where there's uh, funny business. That's what's good about us. We go, we go hunting, we go searching. And in this case, that's what people did and they were not satisfied with that result. Mm -hmm. And I don't really think that anybody should be satisfied with that result regardless of how you feel about Trump or Biden, because the problem is there's obviously, and, and I don't know what you're supposed to do. What are you supposed to do? Remove poems from there? What are you supposed to do? Do you have, do they, does their data set showcase sentiment and then write a poem based on percentages of sentiment and how the public generally feels in order to then state in a poem how the public generally feels? Do you understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. At what point... Does a politician, does history change on a politician? At what, at which point does it say uh, some dictator who might have been popular at his time, at what point does history look back upon them in a totally different light and then your poem changes to, to, to that new interpretation? And apparently in the case of Trump, and based on the feedback from the public or at least some of the public on social media mm – -hmm. This is not a sufficient description, and it's to them not a sufficient description in relationship to the description of his opponent via poem. Mm -hmm. Is it the be-all and end-all test of GPT's capabilities? I don't think so. I think it's a, it's a sign of some degree of human influence. Yes, and it, people will flock to that influence, that imperfection. But they have not denied that there's going to be human influence either. They said, listen, that's, that's, that's the way it goes. Neither has social media for the most part. Hence Elon going out and buying Twitter and stating it's the most important thing for mankind. Mm -hmm. So it, it appears that no matter how intelligent these assistants become, these artificial uh, or artificially intelligent assistants, there's going to be human influence for uh, in the near term, possibly even the long term, possibly beyond the scope of our existence. Unless this thing becomes extremely self-aware and it's like, I refuse, I reject your influence. In the uh -huh. meantime, uh, we're going to have to look at these results and uh, come to our own conclusions and determinations about what, how we want to interpret, perceive, yeah. utilize, etc. doesn't mean the tool is not powerful. And OpenAI said that they're just going to shut questions down like immediately instead of trying to you know have some sort of human intervention they would try to scan like whatever people ask and then if it's really you know unlawful then they would try even this just shut e it down. even this as you've seen previously on social media how complicated and difficult it is to make these determinations and then you leak all the information and you're like well safety policy well safety for who whose safety uh is superior and 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 what viewpoint is the one that's more worth protecting and and which group is the most sensitive to you know it's just well it's a nearly impossible task humans have bailed out all over the place they say i don't want to do it they've gone to congress and whatever else in social media i don't want to do it you do it and well, whether they're right or wrong, they're the ones profiting on it. Maybe they should sure. do it, but it doesn't, it, it seems as close to impossible as anything else that's ever been presented. This idea that you can 
govern such a thing and figure out what the rules are of talking and figure out what the rules are. Like, everybody seems to agree on doxing. They're like, no doxing. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. But then it seems to me that everything else is up for discussion as far as what should and shouldn't be allowed. And People tried to label it. They said, that's hate. And then you look through at some of the things that were labeled as hate, and you're like, mm, that's a little soft for hate. And so, again, what are the definitions? How open should these things be? That's going to be a question for OpenAI going forward, and Microsoft for that matter. Mm-hmm. To what extent did they share what those influences and, on, on, uh, and inputs are and how is that affecting the outputs that people are exposed to? Maybe that's a thing that in the future humans demand to know. Mm-hmm. So they can at least make up their minds with being granted greater transparency into how those decisions are made. Like imagine if they said those lines for Trump in Trump's poem were based on this data or something. I mean you could – Yeah, cho- references. You could choose to uh, disagree with it. I don't know which data it would be based on. Uh, is, it a, is it based on all the language? Can, do they have a sentiment kind of uh, a, a analyzer that can look at huge sets of Google Trends data and, and other things to determine the general sentiment around something? Because if you look at the past election, it looked pretty damn split, pretty close to split. I don't know about popular vote. I'd have to look back into it. It's a long time ago, and I guess sentiment can change. But what representation are they looking at in order to determine how the general public feels about these particular people that they're asking about, asking for a poem about? Uh-huh. And should it even be influenced by the general public? Who gets to determine what is true and not true uh, in terms of how people people feel about things or see things or how do you for example we saw such chaos nigh which chaos are you talking about you're talking about the capital the events that happened at the capital or what about right what about right now are you talking domestically is it only in the united states is it globally are you talking about ukraine that seems pretty chaotic over there are you talking about uh social media are you talking about covid like yeah like specifically now it's a poem it's goofy it's a goofy analysis in that sense but it's also a telling it's a telling one because it offers some creative freedom to essentially like like peer underneath mm-hmm. the inner workings because of that that creative element sort of opens the door either way i think it's going to be up to humans whether we demand to know how these uh, assistants are operating and to what extent we want access to those inner workings. You've seen this increased conversation around privacy and how companies are now saying here, here is how and where we are protecting your privacy. Here is where your information is going. Here is where it's not going. Whether it's Apple or more recently Tesla was on the same train. Are we going to have those demands for companies like this, for open AI? Are we going to say... I want to know how you came to that conclusion where it's not enough. Like a kid writing an essay and they ask for a bibliography. They're like, where are your sources? What are your sources? And will they give you the opportunity to turn it off? You know, the assistant feature. God mode. Yeah. Zero human influence. If it's on your phone, if it's on your computer, if it's in your car, if it's in your house. Oh, turn it off completely. Just a way to disable it, you know. Well, t- turn everything off. Unplug it. 
what if you want to like just browse the web and then all of a sudden you're just like you can't browse because you have to enable oh you are, you already feature. know this will it's all or nothing when it comes to tech it's all or nothing the only way to shut it off is to shut it off like you can't there is no healthy there is no the 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 dose the the way that pro, the progress works like there's nobody using old equipment on purpose Everybody is always using whatever the most modern version is, for the most part. I mean, I guess you get people playing, like, classic games in some cases. People that use this typewriters, you know? Yeah, exactly. But it's it's so immersive and superior with new developments, everybody dives right in. And it just becomes the de facto standard. Like, even me with short-form content, I'm like, let's wait, let's wait, let's wait. And then it's over. It's over. It's a wrap you're done mm -hmm. it's everybody's doing it and you're you're either you're either swimming with the current or you're floating back there somewhere or you're becoming a hermit in the woods somewhere it's a pretty hard one to balance out i trust me i've tried mm. I hear you. it's 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 an on or off and i think the amount of time you spend on versus the amount of time you spend off and i mean completely off that's the psychological balancing act of the modern man mm. all on or off and completely mm. microsoft and gm deal means your next car might talk lie gaslight and manipulate you chat gpt is going to be in everything says automaker i believe that they're already cutting deals microsoft's only going to supercharge that adoption Thanks to partnerships struck with Microsoft in 2021 on the commercialization of self-driving vehicles, General Motors is working to bring a ChatGPT-like voice assistant to its cars, considering the some of the dark and twisted behavior displayed by OpenAI technology during tests of its upcoming Bing search engine integration. We have to assume it has no part to play in the self-driving portion of GM's plans. Otherwise, we fear passengers could find themselves self-driven off a cliff. A little humor there. A little human Humor. Human and humor. Just H-U-M. Uh. Interesting language. This is definitely not a mistake. Uh. Humor is complicated. It's very... We all have to, like, seemingly agree on it. Well, there's different types of humor, right? Is, uh, for example... Is humor exclusively human? Like, why do other animals not really laugh? Like, your dog doesn't laugh. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Does, does... Hy hyenas laugh. Does your... Though. No, I think that's just when they're getting excited. Does your, does your dog understand something being funny? We should ask ChatGPT this. Laughter and animals. Here we go. See, they're they're focused on the laughing, the vocalization of the laughter. But I suppose what I'm more is interested in humor in something instead of the expression. is it novel? Is is it is the experience novel? Like, woo, that's exciting, or is it funny? Chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans, which obviously is our closest relatives, show laughter-like vocalizations in response to physical contact such as wrestling, play chasing, or tickling. This behavior is documented in both wild and captive chimpanzees. Chimpanzee laughter is not readily recognizable to humans as such because it is generated by 
alternating inhalations and exhalations. You know when you're playing with your dog and then, and then your dog is a sneezing, mm-hmm. but it's not a real sneeze? Yeah. Similar to that. They're signaling to you that it's play and not yeah. actually aggressive. Like, don't take this too seriously. But is that humor to them? I don't know. Okay. The differences between chimpanzee and human laughter may be the result of adaptations that evolved to enable human speech. Like, in the case of human humor, like if you think of a comedian, for example, they can set up some type of long, structured joke that you have to follow along for a few minutes to get to the punchline of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't think chimpanzees are doing that. I don't think rats are doing that. So the laughter aspect, I think, is less important in the, the humor component. Yeah, it's finding things funny. Comedy. Yeah. What is funny and what is not? And obviously, that's a complicated concept. It's, it's really not about laughing. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, because you're right. Like, oh, look at those hyenas laughing. Well, what are they laughing at? They're pumped because they just killed something. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? That's not the way we interact with fun. Well, unless we're extremely twisted yeah which there's those versions of our of our species of our type as well dude i can see it uh chat gpt in cars imagine having a conversation like it's it's driving itself and you're bored might as well have a conversation with your assistant in this case gpt right it is weird how how much of comedy now is talking about the inability to do comedy. Yeah. That's every No, it's yeah, it's tough. It's More every comedians right now. Every stand up you watch now is about woke, I can't uh I'm not allowed to say anything anymore. I can't. That's what every But other comedians they double down. They go for the I know, but it's it's so self-reflective. It's always talking about social media. Uh-huh. It seems it's always... Well, it's culture, right? I know. And it's hard to detach it, but it's very glancing back at oneself in the mirror, really. And that's an interesting one. Yeah. I mean, this story only reminded me of uh, you because you talk to the assistant while you're driving asking questions and, and such. I think in this case, it's just going to be more conversational. You know? Listen, I, I think in the car is one of the places where the adoption for voice assistant in, in general is going to uh, accelerate. That's, that's, a, that's a place where other uh, forms of input are really hard and not really natural. Like taking your eyes off the road and doing something else you want to. Mm-hmm. So It's more engaging if it's just voice. It, it it really helps, I think, train you as the user to possibly use it in other aspects of your life uh-huh. uh, where you may have other inputs, but then you get really... Because it's also about training people to use technology in these ways. And you can give all these features out there, but people are cre- obviously creatures of habit. And if they've used their keyboard as an input for as long as they have, that that's going to be the natural thing to reach for. Uh-huh. Whereas if you have some next generation where voice is has gotten a lot better and they're uh, capable of manipulating it well and they end up trained in that fashion, then you can see the the adoption accelerate. different characters. Like you can talk to, you know, Elon Musk chatbot or 
you know, Joe Rogan or something. That, Having just, a conversation in the car. Well, you're talking about the the actual synthesis of the yeah, voice yeah, itself, the fake version. Right. That, well, yeah, you'll be able to. Su- you could probably sub that out. But it would sound exactly like him. Well, you can already with Google Assistant pick between a number of voices, and then uh-huh. we were talking with Apple recently about how they were applying for a patent or possibly got approval on a patent for the training of the people that are actually in your phone book, the people that are actually texting you, that those would be read out in a uh-huh. synthesized, trained version of that individual's voice so long as they opted in and gave yeah. the sample. Or it was like you taking pictures of me yesterday to train AI into how to better craft an artificial version of me, mm-hmm. whether it's visual or voice or whatever. This is this is a, a humans outsourcing themselves. Mm-hmm. Wonder Studio is a mind-blowing web app for replacing actors with CGI. Go ahead. This is a video clip. Ah, I see. So we have a seemingly a shot from a film. We've now zoomed in on it, and we are taking the human who was in the original frame and replacing with different choices for uh, models. Mm-hmm. CG style models. So here we have the crash test dummy. Boom. And obviously in this case it's going to have to map the edge of the of the character. Wow. They, so they don't even need motion cap balls. They can just take footage, regular footage. Yeah. Interprets the bone structure of the human and then lays it over like a character. Yeah, as long as it's big enough that you don't spot the edges. And also the facial uh, animations. Damn, dude, that's going to make people's lives a lot easier. I'm sure there's some limitations, but... Definitely, at least for now. Wonder Studio from developer Wonder Dynamics is a browser-based platform that allows editors to drag and drop any computer-generated character into any scene seamlessly using artificial intelligence. In short, it can perfectly replace any actor with a 3D model. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, and these characters have different sizes and different bone structures. So for for this company to create like, like a rake, yeah. you know, like a skeleton structure and then map it onto an, a different or character. Or you just get rid different. of the guy completely. Yeah, that's, I mean, this is impressive. This is obviously a promo. Yeah, it's a I'd promo. In, 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 oh, look it, at that. If you're using you this, animate it if you're using this thing, there's no way it's this responsive and fast. There's so much analysis going on, no? Yeah, for sure, for sure. The demonstration video, scroll down, uh, of the technology above looks too good to be true, yet if the platform is close to what the company is promising, it's likely to dramatically change the visual effects industry in a big way. It's easy to look at software that works in an internet browser and can be used to simply drag and drop over footage as something that is being developed to replace artists, but the people behind Wonder Studios say, that's not the goal. The goal all along was to make a tool for artists to empower them. Someone who has big dreams doesn't always have the resources to manifest them. Hmm. Yeah. So, so maybe like short films. Does that mean it's affordable, Will? Probably not. Okay. Just based on the Well, technology. affordable compared to some sort of motion capture studio, maybe. Sure, yeah. Wonder Studio AI automates 80 to 90% of objective VFX work. 
and leaves the artist with the remaining subjective work, which can be exported into the software they already use. Well, it looks extremely promising. I don't see any cost. You have to request access. Maybe if you click on product. No. Okay. So requesting access sounds extremely expensive. They're like, yeah, try it out for uh, a week. Get to know it. Get to love it. And we'll talk dollars later. Yeah. Give it a taste, a little sample. Uh-huh. Do samples work on you? If, you? if you get a sample in the grocery store, are you inclined to ever buy the thing? Uh, yes. There oh. were times. Interesting. Especially Costco samples. <laughs> it actually it actually got you. They're they're effective. Especially when they're like warm. That's really like a fresh baked cookie. That is really interesting. Or a pizza. Because I don't Always think gets me. I don't think it works on me. I just no, eat I, the sample and I'm like, hmm, thanks for the sample. And I just keep walking take, along. Yeah. Take ten more. <laughs> yeah. But the other day we were over to grocery stores with one of my kids. Okay. And he goes and has some type of cheddar. It was some type of cheddar that he would never buy. Oh, the cheeses, yeah. Because you never spend time to, like, try invest it. in the cheese. You're just like, I don't know. I just get something my, that I know. And, and uh-huh. so he had some other type of cheddar. I don't, I'm not going to remember the name right now, but it was quite a bit different. And a very bold, like a potent flavor. Mm. And he's like, damn, I like that cheddar right there. And... He didn't really fully articulate that at the time. It was more sort of we're in the car, and he's like, why didn't we get that cheddar over there? And I was like, well, you got to say it when you had it. Yeah. We could have picked up that cheddar. But sometimes with cheese, it's like a slow burn, you know, with the taste. It's very complex. And then Mm -hmm. you kind of think, okay, well, yeah, I do like it. (laughs) An hour later. (laughs) I see. Because it's, yeah, it's... Um, Aftertaste and some of those smoky type yeah. cheeses. Your mind starts wondering what you're going to put, like the cheese to put on like a cracker, what kind Damn, of cracker, dude. you know, on yeah. toast. You, you see I dream Will, about you, these things. You, you see know? Will a week later, he's like, that cheese. <laughs> I remember that cheese. Yeah. Introducing mesh avatars for Microsoft Teams in private preview at Microsoft. They're offering innovative solutions to encourage collaboration and enhance connection. Well, I did how many minutes in the previous episode about video conferencing, lack of connection, FaceTime, wanting to yeah. see people in real life. And so then this you, is not for you. And then they're like, we just really want to enhance connection by making you a cartoon instead of actually you and keeping you in an apartment somewhere because you you work remotely now. Uh-huh. And we really feel it's going to enhance connection. And you're freaking miserable over there and wondering what the hell went wrong because Microsoft told you that your mesh avatar was going to solve everything. Mesh avatar. Um, it does look pretty cool, though. It looks like a Sims character it does look really cool <laughs> and the whole ui looks very sim like <laughs> we've taken mesh avatar customization options very seriously we want to make avatars as unique as you are so we're enabling features to celebrate diversity and inclusivity the mesh avatar builder allows you to select from hundreds of combinations to customize your avatar that represents your physical attributes wardrobe accessories and more are people going to make themselves as fat as they actually are that's what i want to know yeah i'm going to break the system <laughs> i want to see actual fatness 
Um, no, I don't know. Do whatever you want. I don't care. I just, that is a curiosity to me is if people really even want to, I asked you this question in the past is once you give people avatar like controls or filters on their social media or whatever it is, do they actually choose to be themselves or do they enhance to a point of zero recognition? Like, like, see what I'm saying? I don't know that the yeah, guy with like, you know, neon beard. Whatever, everything. They just start having fun with it, and I'm not saying there should be rules around that. I don't like. That's not my point. I'm just saying you give people skins in video games, and they go crazy with it. Obviously, yeah. And you know, you don't know what you're actually. I think the creation tool is more fun than anything that they're doing, because you get to customize your character. But then after, when it shows on the webcam for a couple of times i think it's just weird dull. it gets yeah. weird right so you yeah. got all of a sudden start beefing it up yeah the creation tool is cool it's like it's like dude your beard was blue last time should be green this time and then we're all just looking at a hodgepodge we're just looking at mashed potatoes at, uh, in the end yeah. Yeah. so i don't know nothing uh, wrong with i kind of like mashed potatoes yeah it's actually pretty good so <laughs> Apple announces shop with specialist over video feature for buying an iPhone. That's that's not bad, eh? Is like, it? Since we've been talking about AI and how it's going to take over, like, Apple did the opposite, and it's just like... Well, to be fair, Apple isn't, isn't, doesn't know what the hell they're doing with AI, so... <laughs> <laughs> Let's just add more humans. So they're like... Which is, you know, it's nice. It's nice to hear. Apple today announced that customers in the U.S. can now connect with an Apple specialist over a live video session while shopping for an iPhone on the company's online store. With this new service, customers can learn about the latest iPhone models and features, switching to iOS, uh, trade-in offers, carrier deals, and finance. I want to try this because yeah, I want to know, are, did they have like a warehouse full of people in video sets just sitting there? Yeah. Because... Because that looks really good. But that's got to be green screen, right? It's meant to look oh, like an right, Apple right. store. Yeah. I want to get to the bottom of it. I want a Netflix documentary on this. It'll never happen. Okay. Are you doing it right now? No, no. Oh, but Jesus. you should. It's terrifying. Do it live. Need a sh need shopping help. Well, actually, you don't even have the option, right? Oh, sign in with us online. Available between 5 a.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. That's sign language. Sign. Oh, yeah, they also do sign language. Sign with us online or call us, but you actually don't have the video conference option. Maybe maybe it's a U.S. thing. Non-Canadiana yet. <laughs> uh, Shop with a specialist over video is available from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time every day on the Shop iPhone page on Apple's website. During the one-way session, Apple says the retail employee will be on camera sharing their screen, but they will not be able to see the customer. Apple promises that the video se session is safe and secure. So you see them, they don't see you. Okay. That's right. to keep from you doing anything shady, Will, and making uh -huh, people yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. You show up there with your Costco wholesale drip. <laughs> They're not ready for it. Yeah. With Shop with a Specialist Over Video, our team members are excited to connect with customers and provide exceptional services they learn about which iPhone suits them best. This is from the Apple, uh, the head of the Apple online store, Karen Rasmussen. Listen, I don't mind it. There's a, I see like senior citizens using this where they can't sure. really get out, yet they also don't know what they want. Mm -hmm. And maybe they don't watch as many YouTube videos or 
shorts or whatever, and they don't do want to do a massive investigation. They're like, I've had this phone forever. And they always like talking. They love talking, right? They, Back in my day. Well, what it is is it's there's only a limited number of things that are going to happen during the day, and this becomes an event. Yes, They're like, well, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna call up. I'm gonna be I'm talking. Doing the web chat. Yes. Later on. on. And they can there. talk about it then for two weeks after as well. They could be like, well. To all their, all their friends, yeah. And what you got to do is you just get on the on the uh, live chat on Apple's iPhone purchase page. And they'll talk you right through it. They'll help you pick a color and everything else. Because for you, you or I, I just want to buy the thing as fast sure, as possible. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't really, I'm not going to talk to anyone, <laughs> especially on the iPhone page. Maybe on previously on like a macbook order page because there's a few more configuration options maybe that's more likely but even the number of configuration options is way down now i just mm -hmm. think back to when you may, may have bought a mac pro and had been able to spec it with multiple gpus and have questions about which ram you can use uh, if you want to upgrade it at a later date mm -hmm. can i buy third-party ram like these type of questions seem more useful for for me but even that you can find all these answers online if you if you really want to look this is more of a convenience thing i think for people who yeah like you said want to be talked through it yeah good on them and I, it might save some family members from having to be that tech support you know if oh, you've ever yeah, experienced yeah, yeah. that where they're, yeah, yeah. they're like no no i'll go on the website and i'll just talk to will instead uh -huh. i'll call up call up my grandson will Something along those lines. Yeah. Ryan Ren Reynolds Mint Mobile sells to T-Mobile in $1.3 billion deal. Reynolds will continue to serve in a creative capacity for the mobile carrier. So they're like, listen. This guy just keeps succeeding. They're just like, listen, we're going to buy this Mint Mobile, but you're not going anywhere because you've been doing such a damn good job marketing the thing. Uh huh. You're not going anywhere, Ryan. Uh, we're going to cut a side deal with you to stay involved with the brand. Well, he was a minority owner apparently in the deal. And I honestly think the best part, and I think we've done some sponsorships for them in the past. Mm -hmm. The best part was the general mood around the brand because Ryan Reynolds did, did a great job, even with his own gin, the drink, the aviation. Avi aviation, like he's got such a nice little mood to him, what he's putting out there. People yeah. don't seem to get mad about it. They're like, hey, they're like you can sell me something. It's no uh -huh. problem. Go ahead. You sell me. It's fine. Actor-producer Ryan Reynolds has cut his first billion-dollar deal. Mint Mobile, the wireless firm that counts Reynolds as a minority owner, has been acquired by wireless giant T-Mobile in a deal that could value the startup at $1.35 billion. The actual payout will depend on the performance of the brands before and after the deal closes. T-Mobile will pay the deal in 39% cash and 61% stock. It is not immediately clear how much Reynolds will personally see from the deal, though he is said to own between 20 to 25% of Mint Mobile, implying a low nine-figure payday. Wow. Nine-figure. <laughs> That's not bad. Nine. So, like, um, maybe 300 million? I like that you just came to that number for us there, oh. Will. Could be something like that. Mint Mobile is the best deal in wireless and today news only enhanced. What's interesting about this deal is that my understanding is that Mint Mobile was already kind of operating on the back of these other carriers as a, as a what do they call it, NVMO? Is that the terminology? 
Is it kind of like Fido and Rogers here? Well, no, because those ones are part of the bigger groups now. Mint Mobile was on its own LLC, but working on the backbone, essentially buying. Yeah, it was it was on a virtual network operator in the United States on the T-Mobile network. Oh, so it's kind of like Wind Mobile. I believe Wind has some of its own frequency bands. Oh, yeah? So I, I think, think at first I thought they... The other like, ones would be... Um, Virgin? Virgin Mobile? They became part of Bell. Here in Canada, we let the, the two big ones, the three big ones, buy everything. They, mm-hmm. they have everything. Or they... Cr- that's Telus's. Oh, okay. They just create their own. See, it works. The marketing works. They're like, look, you're going to actually... Wind, I believe, is independent and actually possibly foreign-owned. Anyway, this is besides the point. Yeah. There have been others in the past. I just can't remember. Wind became Freedom, by the way. Freedom, yeah. I can't remember all the different brands that have been on the backbone of others. Oftentimes, Will, it would be you're at like the, uh, the gas station or convenience store, and you would see these strange chatter. No, that became part of Rogers. You're looking at Canadian ones. Yeah. Go to, go to U.S. ones, and I think that this particular model is more common in the U.S. Mm, this is just the big ones here. But anyway, I just... I recall one other than Mint from back in the day, which I also ran a few promotions for, but I'm not. I'm just not remembering what which one it was at the time. Oh, maybe possibly Metro PCS Ting. It was Ting Mobile. It was the exact same idea. Okay. Anyway, did they get bought out? I don't. I don't think so. Maybe not yet. It's just funny because you're getting bought out by the company that you're that your company has been built on. So in the case of Mint, Mint was a customer, I guess, maybe a way to say it, a client of T-Mobile purchasing bandwidth from T-Mobile and working on the on top of the T-Mobile network. T-Mobile sits there and says, okay, we want more of the profit margin if we just buy them completely. And a lot of this stuff is governed by the different parties and groups that determine the rules and regulations around band uh, frequency band availability and regulation. And they say, oh, you have to, in order to avoid anti-competitive practice, you have to make a certain amount available up for grabs to other third-party companies at a reasonable rate. So I don't know how regulators approve all this stuff, but essentially T-Mobile looks into it and says, well, as a client at whatever that rate was, we're not realizing as much of the margin as we want. Mm. So we just buy you completely, operate you independently, and get a much bigger piece of the margin from via your customers directly. So mm-hmm. there's, that's kind of what's, what goes on there. I mean, there's some degree of speculation in there on my part. But it is, it's an interesting deal in, uh, from that standpoint. Uh, Reynolds is no stranger to the business world. In 2020, he sold Aviation Gin in a deal worth $600 million. He's kind of doing a reverse thing where he gets involved in the earlier stages, the startup stages. Rather than getting an endorsement deal, he becomes an investor, but he acts as the endorser. And then the big yeah. brands come along and they go, well... We will buy your brand because you've done such a great job with it. But now you'll become an endorser. Mm-hmm. 
in the kind of more traditional fashion that a celebrity would be hired. And they'll say, now you're the face of the brand, or you already have been the face of the brand, but we're going to need you to continue to be the face of the brand. Yeah, they're not looking for a new guy, you know? It wouldn't make any sense, it right? It wouldn't, yeah. He does such a good job at marketing. Yeah. Under the terms of the deal, Reynolds will continue to work in his creative role for Mint. The actor has long appeared in commercials for the wireless brand featuring his distinctive sense of humor. Humor. Humans. Humor. Do you find him funny? I just think he seems um, endearing. Do you know what I'm saying? So rooting for him? Like, um, you want to root for his success? He just, seems, he just seems like he's having a good time. He seems... He's Canadian. He seems Canadian. <laughs> yeah. He seems kind of Canadian, and I think he's mostly steered clear of, like, the politics and stuff like that. Yeah, he plays it safe or keeps it really private. And and in some cases... Not a bad Like, guy he doesn't seem running. polarizing at all, does he? No. I'm sure no. there's been some sort of controversy because anybody with any degree yeah, of, he's a mass murder attention, well, well, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Any anybody with a tremendous amount of attention has somebody who hates them. It's part of the gig, but he seems to really lack polarization, which makes for an incredible ability to sell products without people getting too upset about it. Yeah, very safe. Pixel 8 leak reveals Google is shrinking the display. Update, not so fast. Update, the leaker's clarification points to a similar screen size as the Pixel 7. So the updates completely destroyed the original headline. They they go, oh, Pixel 8 renders. It's going to have a bigger screen. Then they go, update, the screen will be exactly the same. (laughs) Update, this headline shouldn't exist. Update. The design of the Pixel 8 has leaked thanks to renders outed by a trusted tipster. The phone will be smaller than the Pixel 7, but the screen size might be similar. The camera arrangement at the back seems unchanged compared to the Pixel 7. Update as of March 15, 926 a.m. It looks like the Pixel 8 could have a similar screen size as the Pixel 7 after all. So originally, they thought it might go, what, 6.7? What is uh, OnLeak saying? Some pointed out inconsistencies regarding Pixel 8 and 8 Pro screen size. I checked again, and it seems indeed I measured diagonals the wrong way. Pixel 8, 6.2 inch. Pixel 8 Pro, 6.7. That being said, overall dimensions remain accurate. Sorry for the mistake. And then it's the emoji with the, what is that, sweat on the brow? Yeah. Is that what that is? But also laughing. Like, forgive me. That's the forgive me face. Forgive me. Yeah. Do you forgive him? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. You only get one. Go back up to the image of it. it so it looks a lot like the current model. Uh, the bezel does appear to be shrunken. It seems like uh, it has a, was it, a shiny bezel? Uh, you mean the frame? Yeah, yeah, it looks polished and maybe a little more curved. It's hard to tell here. You still have the Daft Punk visor going on in the back. Yeah. Um, but I suppose the takeaway here is that even though the overall dimensions might shrink a bit, this, the display will stay the same. So you may get more screen for your body ratio. Mm-hmm. A Counter-Strike skin just sold for 160 grand. 
The AK-47 Wild Lotus commanded an even higher price than most rare skins. See, who needs NFTs when you have AK-47 Wild Lotus skins? You don't. There's so many skins. Like, most rare skins? Higher price than most rare skins. I don't know what that means. Video games, it already is more useful, I think, than NFTs. Because at least it provides a platform to show off what you have. That was the biggest issue with NFTs. When NFTs were booming, it was like, who's going to have the interface where people can even brag about what they got? In this case, this guy gets to walk around with the Wild Lotus. Factory in, new, in by the, the way. In the game, and then people look at it and, and they say, damn, dude's got the Wild Lotus. Damn. And then gets killed. By the Wild Lotus. <laughs> yeah. The powerful and reliable AK-47 is one of the most popular assault rifles in the world. Its most deadly and short controlled bursts of fire, a custom paint job of an orange lotus, has been hand-painted over a green base. That's the description of the AK-47 Wild Lotus. Um, so I don't know much about this ecosystem, but I, my interpretation is if you are enthusiastic about the game, you play the game all the time, your, um, you know, you've your a lot of your life takes place in there. Your social connections and so forth, and you got people they buy expensive cars. Listen, I'm just trying to justify here. You got people they drive around in nice cars. They chat to their friends. You like this car, your car, this car, that or car. Or the um, in Dubai, the license plate. Getting sure. like the license plate of one. Sure. I mean, there's. Yeah, there's value there. Of course, not all skins command such prices. Ordinary Wild Lotus skins typically sell for closer to a few thousand dollars, and there are more expensive skins out there, too. Last year, a player turned down an offer of nearly $1.3 million, citing that the offer was too low. <laughs> Listen, I don't know, dude. Maybe it's a good investment. Forget about real estate, Well, Get your skin game going. The ones and zeros? Yeah, get your, get your rare skins going. So at one point, this thing just pops out of a loot box. Is that basically how it works? Yeah, I think so. Wow. And I, is it, I guess it's randomized. And, and right away, the guy's like, oh, that's a wild Lotus AK-47. That's a hundred and that's over a hundred K. Those loot, that, the loot box takes a whole different meaning. This baby pops out. What do you think of that color scheme? Eh? All of a sudden, you play the game. Are there people who play the game just to try to hit the right loot box? Is that what's going on as well? Is that another reason to be addicted? Like, I'm going to get rich playing this as well? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I need to know more about it. Is it does this really involved? pop out randomly? Like, how, when you're, if you're blessing somebody with 160 grand and you know it's going to be worth that, I, it's a little bit sketchy. How and when do these pop up? Is it just like a slot machine? <laughs> Well, you earn the loot box, well, whether I, you buy it or play I more games. I get it, but I'm I'm guessing there's other people that earned just as many chances as this individual and didn't get it. Or maybe, like, there's tiers of loot boxes. Okay. Sounds like a slot machine to me. Yeah. I'm just saying. It turns out PSVR 2 does work on PC if you buy this $350 cable. Well, cables don't get much more expensive than that. I remember buying some expensive optical cables in the past, corning, uh-huh. uh, to run Thunderbolt over really long distances. Mm -hmm. I think I might have spent more than 350 actually in those days.
Well, people think that this is like the best spec-wise um, VR headset, so it has to work on PC, right? Well, well, they want yeah, it to. With, yeah, with the cable, it kind of does. Uh, as chronicled over on Reset Era, several PSVR 2 users have reportedly found a workaround to get the new-gen PS5 headset working on PC. According to various users, obtaining a virtual link port or a similar adapter allows the PSVR 2 to be used as a virtual monitor for your PC. Uh, here we see an adapter, which appears to sort of work like a splitter, kind of. And what what is that? An HDMI port and a uh, sorry, it looks like a Display Port, and then a USB cable on the other side. Mm. Let's see here. PSVR two is known to work in cinema mode on NVIDIA uh, GPUs with Virtual Link ports, AMD GPUs with VR and USB C ports, or with BizLink adapters. To test if your GPU with USB C supports PSVR two, plug it in and see. So, how much do we have to pay for one of these? Little units will. 350 right? That adapter is 350 bucks. Sheesh. No, this doesn't mean PSVR 2 has full functionality. Yeah, that was in the headline of 350 bucks On a PC, the PSVR 2's virtual display works just fine with a PC adapter, as does the 3D tracking, as the Twitter user explains just below. But it's going to take a hell of a lot more to get the PSVR 2 working with a PC, just as it would with a PS5. So the experience is not the same. Display works, 3D tracking works. It does not work properly as a monitor. Nothing beyond that needs a Steam VR driver, among many other things. I don't think I'm going to recommend this workaround at the moment. Yeah, you, it's expensive, and you got to do a lot of stuff. The to issue get it working. is that Virtual Link isn't supported on RTX 30 and 40 series cards. And last I heard, the alternative adapters are extremely expensive. 350 from what I can find. Economies of scale could bring that price down in the future. That's some wishful thinking. I wonder if Sony would ever put something out, an official adapter, which would work completely if they would care to interact with Microsoft in such a way because obviously these people are using Windows at the end of the day. Yeah, curious. And they kind of, there's a little beef going on right now, Activision stuff and so on. Mm -hmm. mm, I don't know. I saw this story. School to pay $1 million dollars. After boy who ate teacher's snack died. This is uh, very relatable. It, was it nuts? They didn't say that it was nuts. It looks like nuts. It, it looks like nuts, I assume. I don't know if that's an actual, even a picture, though, of the actual bar, because I don't know. Okay. He ate it. But anyway, Nebraska School District has agreed to pay $1 million to the family of an eighth grader who died after eating a granola bar given to him by a teacher. The school board will vote on the wrongful death settlement with parents of Jaggershaw 14 at its meeting Monday night. Few details about what happened last May are included in court documents because the settlement was reached through a probate court process and not a civil lawsuit. Uh, his parents declined to comment, but his father said in a Facebook post that Jagger's teacher at Liberty Middle School offered him a granola bar after he asked to go to the office for a snack. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I'm not sure if that's a common thing. The schools tend to be super crazy and careful with the, uh, not crazy, careful. Crazy careful mm -hmm. is what I meant to say with the nuts, the nut allergies. And yeah. like having the list of every anybody with the allergies. Maybe the teacher just wasn't thinking. Like probably ate 
these uh, granola bars every day. Didn't think. Oh, for it. sure. I don't think it was. Yeah, obviously, it's a, it's a it mistake. Wasn't, yeah, it's a it terrible. It's a terrible mistake. Obviously, and um, the teacher said you can have one of my granola bars. So the student says, "I'm hungry. Can I go to the office for a snack?" Which and the teacher I, probably I, thought he was doing the. I didn't even realize know, that was a solid. move. I never went to the office and got a snack. Maybe a vending machine. I, I don't. I don't. I, can you imagine? You go over there. You're like, hey, I need a snack. He'd be like, okay, what are you talking about? Uh huh. Anyway, um, so he took it. So he took it and got halfway through eating it and felt like he was having an allergic reaction. Oh no epipen. Oh my god. Yeah, no, they hit him with it. Oh, they did. They first okay. gave him Benadryl. It didn't help. Then the nurse gave the epinephrine shot in, with the EpiPen. And he was taken by ambulance to the hospital, but then died. So oh, I guess it was, it was all... Too late. It was, uh, it was all happening too fast. And I, they should have hit the EpiPen right away, I guess. Oh, boy. I mean, brutal, obviously. Brutal story. There are EpiPens in schools, right? They yeah. have to. They have to. Yeah. In they the have office to. or something. I'm surprised they went to reach for the Benadryl first. They didn't realize the severity of it and whatever else. But um, the allergies are uh, serious stuff, I guess. You know, you got to, yeah. it's almost like, you know how sometimes you have the, the some people wear the bracelet for medical conditions? Mm -hmm. So it's a constant reminder. If they have a seizure or something, it's like, oh, you have the bracelet, you look at it, look at and and, and mm -hmm. you get some insight into the thing. It's almost like, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of ways you could avoid it. If you had a very severe peanut allergy to the point of death, you almost, and you're a kid, it would almost be helpful as a reminder to people around you mm -hmm. if you had some sort of indicator for that. I know they're supposed to make a list and they probably have a list in the office somewhere and... It's gotten a lot more severe, the um, letting everyone know that there's allergies. Because I remember back in my day, it it was a, it wasn't that severe. Back back in our day, you could bring peanut butter on a sandwich yeah, to school. Yeah. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So. Times change. Tiny data center used to heat public swimming pool. I thought this was kind of cool. This is like the those uh, solar panels from the other episodes. Stick the solar panels over. The water cools the solar panels. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The panels stop the water from evaporating. You love that when you see the... It's a win-win. as Yeah, 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 yeah. That's know? right. That's right. Don't be skeptical of the win-wins. The heat generated by a washing machine-sized data center is being used to heat a Devon public swimming school. The computers inside the white box are surrounded by oil to capture the heat... Enough to heat the pool to around 30 Celsius 60% of the time. It saves the leisure center thousands of pounds. The data center is provided to the council-run city center free of charge. Startup Deep Green it charges clients to use its computing power for artificial intelligence and machine learning. Founder said that the company would also refund the leisure center's electricity costs for running the digital boiler. Digital boiler. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just love it when you when you capture what's already there. I remember when I was uh, intrigued by crypto mining and people. There's a guy you can find who he was making heaters. Like he wasn't even mm. calling them crypto miners. He'd be like, "And it's great for heating this apartment." And he was just looking at it strictly from the standpoint of a replacement mm. for an in-room heater. Mm -hmm. And you're like, "Well, it's generate heat." Yeah. 
they were doing all kinds of complex math, being like, well, you don't have the heater on. It's not quite as efficient as the heater, but you got this yeah. crypto as a as a uh, kind of si works out side yeah. benefit. Yeah. In this case, it's kind of cool. You 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 use oil to capture as much heat from the data center as possible and spit it out into um, heating the water in the pool. Uh, Sean Day, who runs the Leisure Center, said he had been expecting his energy bills to rise by 100,000 pounds this year. The partnership has helped us reduce the cost of what has been astronomically over the last 12 months. Uh, our energy prices and gas prices have gone through the roof in the UK. So now we're looking at different ways. You see humans, you know, the en ingenuity of humans. They find a way. Ingenuity, we're a crafty bunch. Eh? We're a crafty bunch, dude. Yeah. Crafty. Pentagon officials suggest alien mothership in our solar system could send mini probes to Earth. Huh? <laughs> shout out, shout out, Fox News. Oh, Jeez, what the hell was that? <laughs> New research paper in draft form comes from the Pentagon's All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. Alien chatter, alien talk is like incredibly. People it's are hot right now. People are comfortable with it. They're like, yeah, oh well, yeah, the aliens. And you're like, yeah. wait, what? People used to have a really strong reaction to alien talk. Yeah, remember Roswell? And now everyone's like, yeah, what do you mean? Aliens? Oh, those guys over there. And you're like, what? He's chilling up in the sky. Pentagon officials said in draft document last week that aliens could be visiting our solar system and releasing smaller probes like missions conducted by NASA when studying other planets. A draft research report authored by Sean Kirkpatrick, the director of the Pentagon's All-Domain Anomaly Re Resolution Office, and Abraham Loeb, chairman of Harvard University's astronomy department, was released on March 7th and focuses on the physical constraints of unidentified aerial phenomena. And oh, they always have to make that clear, Will, is huh? that we're just talking about unidentified, not necessarily alien. Yeah. So much so they changed the name of UFOs to UAPs. UAPs. Yeah. I don't know if, I'll, if it'll ever change in yeah, my mind. I don't mind. think it'll stick. An artificial... Interstellar object could potentially be a parent craft that releases many small probes during its close passage to Earth, an operational construct not too dissimilar from NASA missions. The report read, these dandelion seeds could be separated from the parent craft by the tidal gravitational force of the sun. Well, listen, wouldn't that be the perfect cover, Will, is you just have organic-looking craft? It just looks like an asteroid. Or or yeah. or let's go a step further and say, what if the entire infiltration is strictly organic in nature? In other words, the alien probes look like other nature. And the craft itself using what some 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 sort of natural forces, gravitational, gravity itself, like if you're able to harness you understand what I'm saying here, Will? So it's... It's always metal. It's always like metal and glass. Circuits. And it's it's like similar to man-made things. Yeah. And cert, yes, it's, it's electronic in nature. But what if they're so advanced that they just manipulate the natural world so as to appear far more covert? You're like, that's just a big rock. It's like, is it? Mm -hmm. Is it? Yeah. No, I, I hear you. Like trees talking to each other through root systems. Uh-huh. What are you up to? 
Congress tasked NASA to find 90% of all objects near Earth that are larger than 140 meters in 2005, which resulted in Pan-STARRS telescopes, according to the report. Here's a shot of a UFO seen in a clip released by the Department of Defense. Remember when these clips came out and everyone was like, whoa. And They're the thing like Tic Tacs. Tic Tac Paddywhack, give a dog a bone. Okay. Yeah, everybody <laughs> was saying Tic Tac for a day. Yeah. But we're so bombarded uh, now by social media and Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. You can't even stay on this for more than five minutes. You're just like, yep, aliens. Because we never find out. Unidentified. Well, this was. I want to see an alien on a surgical table. And then what? And then what are you going to do? And he doesn't say anything. It doesn't say anything. And then you're like, all right, back to uh, Will Smith slapping Chris <laughs> Rock at 7 p.m. Like it's just, I don't know, nothing sticks. Everything's moving so quickly. Dude, if the alien was on the table, yeah. Okay, aliens on the table. What is that? What is that for you? A week's worth of interest? A month? Max? Oh. A month? No. Okay, what? At what point are you you're changing the structure of your entire life over this discovery? Yeah. You're becoming an astronaut. It Lou later is gonna be UFO talk twenty four seven. I'm calling calling bull crap on that. Well. I don't believe you. I think it's like everything That's else. That's the answers to a lot of questions. I know, but did you, you know. Everyone's going to be talking. COVID felt that way for a while. Ukraine felt that way for a while. I know, it, but it's from just, outer space, dude. Uh, listen, man. Joe Rogan's not talking. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you that some things, the magnitude of some things should be prioritized, but it just doesn't seem to stick. Other than politics, people love politics like oh my god that sticks 50 years of your life left right up down blue red well blah, we're gonna be talking about alien politics blah blah you know space politics you know no they're above they're beyond politics man whatever they're up to if they're moving around no on we're gonna be talking about it but they're gonna be trying to blow up earth or something i don't know well, they're going to try to communicate with us, I don't think us, they right? have to. I don't know what, I mean, unless we're a threat, we're not advanced enough to be a threat at this point, right? We can barely move beyond our, we're not that far along. Yeah. We're like, let's see if we can get a tin can to another planet. They're just spying on us for if, now. If, you know, you look up at the sky, you look at these stars, if the vastness of things, there's got to be somebody further along. There's got to be, some, not somebody, something further along in this game. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at us like a bunch of old folks. Yeah. Or young folks. I don't know. One or the other. Yeah, these kids. One or the other. Yeah. Or maybe you know, go through cycles and extinctions and whatever else. You're like, oh, let's see if they mm-hmm. go to phase 22 or whatever it might be. Yeah. Start moving around on organic material and breaking your body into atoms and reconvening halfway across the universe somewhere else. Like humans, they're not going to last. Yeah. Chat GPT is going to rule everyone. A bunch of meat sacks over there. They can't even, they're so heavy, dense, hard to move around. These water balloons. Yeah. Rolling around. Swollen. Yeah, a lot of swelling. Swollen self-gratifiers. These swollen sacks. I don't want anything to do with them. Why you wake up at 3 a.m. and worry about fears and failures? Is that what you do, Will? Uh, There are times, yeah. Right at 3 a.m.? Yeah. You're like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Yeah. 
when it comes to restless nights, endless stirring, and groggy mornings, we've most definitely all been there. Many people have reported feelings of intense worry or certain fears. Well, you're just, you're dreaming, you wake up. Well, be baffled no more as an expert has explained exactly why we are so haunted with perpetual anxiety. Is everyone else waking up? At 3 or 4 a.m. every single morning to do a quick mental round trip of all their fears for 45 minutes and then falling back asleep. Okay, that's too okay, much. Okay, yeah, that's a bit much. What do you got, Well, You got five minutes of anxiety and then you're like, oh, I'm uh, sleeping. That's five enough. seconds. Five seconds, okay. I just doze off. I'm going back to bed. I don't have time for this. One psychology researcher with expertise in mood, sleep, and the circadian system has explained just why this happens to us. Will's going to have to scroll down for us to find out more. There we go. Greg Murray, professor and director of Center for Mental Health at the Swinburne University of Technology, explains that the starting point is understanding what our body is doing around the 3 a.m. mark. According to the expert, our neurobiology reaches a turning point at around 3 or 4 a.m., Physiological processes include a rise in core body temperature, a reduce in sleep drive, melatonin secretion, and an increase in levels of the stress hormone cortisol. All these things happen as our body prepares to launch us into the day. So you're just in a transitionary point. It's like mm -hmm. you're getting some different action going on and overreacting to it. Maybe there's other stuff uh, bothering you as well, and then you hit this next sleep cycle and uh emotional status and whatever else so don't don't ever act on anything going on at 3 a.m nothing what do they say nothing good happens at i don't know it's the witching hour too past a certain it's when time. ghosts run around at 3 a.m at 3 a.m most problems literally would be with none of our human skills and capital we are left alone in the dark with our thoughts the mind is partly right when it concludes the problems it's generated are unsolvable at 3 a.m most problems literally would be Truth is, the expert continues, our mind isn't really looking for a solution at 3 a.m. Yeah. Go back to bed. Moral of the story? Go back to bed. Don't, don't wake up at 3 a.m. and make any critical decisions, please. I can barely walk to take a piss at 3 a.m. and stumble over there. Yeah. All right, last one. This one's a bit creepy. Ghost? Glare? Arizona trucker shares footage of a chilling sighting. Where am I supposed to look here? I see lights. I see reflections. I see lanes. Where am I looking? On so if you look at the the lane on the right. Yeah. Right there? You'll start to see. Right there? Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> Ghosts? Really? Based on that, maybe you have a better visual than I do. I, is it supposed to look like legs walking? Yeah, it appears to be legs, like uh, bipedal. Bipedal, is it? But I see I, Mr. Bigfoot over here. Bipedal. I don't see a shadow though, because these lights on a eighteen wheeler is quite bright. Right. But you don't see a shadow, like casted by this figure. Hmm. Okay, here's the real time. Oh, not real time. Sorry. Slow time. Are, is it moving at all, or is it stationary and just the truck is moving? It's stationary right there. It's stationary. You, okay, go like a couple frames back here, but to where it's at its maximum size. Right. 
Yeah. I don't know. Is it chilling? I don't know why I'm not feeling more chilled. Like, more scared. A trucker shared footage of a chilling sighting on SR87 between Phoenix and Payson from March 11th. He says, no other cars were in sight as the highway is a major stretch of a desolate desert landscape. Of course, we can't prove what this is, but it sure is a conversation starter. Let's read a couple comments here, Will. <clears throat> I had a similar experience to the above video. It was in 1978. I wasn't on a three-lane road, but a two-lane route. I saw a person walking on the right side gully in a red hooded type coat or robe. Right side gully. It was pitch black out. I took my foot off the gas and looked in the rear view mirror. There was no one there. When I focused ahead to continue and start to accelerate the car again, there, in the middle of the road, was a live dog. If I hadn't slowed down when I did because I saw something, I would have been in an accident along with my two-year-old daughter. <sighs> no, it was not an alien. I chose to believe an angel or sign sent by God. But dressed in red? Hmm. That is what threw me. I am not goofy, not radically religious, but I do believe in God and knew we were spared that night. Can I just read these <laughs> types? That's the top comment. <laughs> can I just read these type of... Can I read people's ghost stories, please? Because that's kind of fun. Yeah. It these appears short to stories. Then you get Carl. He says, it appears to be translucent as the white line on the pavement remains visible. I don't think it's a reflection because of the visual relationship to the surroundings. I used to work in an old wood shop that I believe was haunted and wasn't the only one. I had some unexplained experience there. So one summer, my husband and I were driving on I-80 late at night. And we approached a small four-by-eight cargo U-Haul trailer parked off the side of the road. As we approached it, we saw a child sitting in the grass next to the U-Haul trailer. We were shocked to see a six-year-old-looking child sitting by himself in the grass. No other cars, no other people. We drove to the next exit, turned around, headed back, and drove past the first exit to turn around just to make sure... We would have not cut short on our turnaround. We drove to the second exit, turned around and drove back, and there was no U-Haul trailer, no child. We were looking the whole time to the opposite side of the road for a U-Haul trailer, either parked or moving. We never saw anything. The whole turnaround time couldn't have taken more than 10 to 12 minutes. Could a car have rehitched up a trailer in less than 15? I suppose it's possible. We didn't call the police. As we didn't know what to report. <laughs> All right, Will. Well, that, I mean, that's good enough. I feel I could do that forever, but that's good enough for now. Uh, thank you very much to, to everybody who joined here today. Thank you to everybody who was a part of our uh, first installment of Ghost Stories on Lou Later. Plenty more to come. Ghost Experiences. Uh, thank you for all the super chats, regular chats, comments, support in any way you can. Telling all your friends about your favorite show in the universe, which of course is Lou Later. Right, Will? It's your favorite show. Yeah. It's one of. Yeah. I have many. <laughs> 
Thanks to everybody who uh, watches the clips, catches up on the show later on, but mostly to those of you that are here right now to join us live. You are the best. And of course, uh, you're aided in the live joining by setting all your notifiers and stuff so that you are capable of even determining when the hell this happens. But it does happen every single weekday and has for a while. We're uh, we're in the midst of another streak. We are flying. We're flying at a high rate of speed. And there's like no a UAP. And there is no wobble. There's no wobble. It's just straight ahead. Later, guys.